0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, uh, where we actually have found a Mormon who will talk to us, and not about respect.
1: Yes, yes, so uh, this should actually be pretty good, because I don't believe we'll hear in any of it, that is not what I came here to discuss.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a refreshing change. So, in this episode, uh, we've actually brought aboard Palmer, who has emailed us because Uh, He was so disappointed in in Leighton's brother Sean's performance on our previous podcast About respecting other people's beliefs
1: Now, I must apologize Although I have a family (laughs) of 19 That's the best I could find in the family So now you understand the bars I must step over
0: (laughs) Palmer is a faithful Latter-day Saint uh, Who's come uh, courageously onto the show to defend that position Is that that correct?
2: That is correct
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, Palmer. Uh, What's your background?
2: Uh, Sure. I uh, grew up in the southwestern United States, a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, The members in my family have been members of that church for five generations on both sides, mostly coming out of southern Arizona rather than uh, the Utah troop. I'm a former gospel doctrine teacher, former elders quorum president, uh, return missionary, Uh, The whole enchilada So you've you've been on a mission And you were responsible for
0: teaching I'm not familiar with Gospel Doctrine class Is this uh, kids? Is this adults? Adolescents? Who are you teaching?
2: That's more adults Uh, In the Gospel Doctrine (laughs) class, yeah It's the uh, the higher level class for long-time members of the church To go learn about uh, church doctrine history, etc.
1: They have a, a lower uh, adult class, but I forget what it's called. It's uh, Gospel gosh, Principles,
2: I believe. Principles,
1: that's right. Uh, gospel Doctrine is kind of the second stage to that where you go to
2: learn more in depth knowledge.
0: So, Gospel Principles is the milk, and Gospel Doctrine is the meat. You are responsible for teaching the meat to the Latter day Saints. I was
2: responsible for serving up steaks.
0: Excellent. I mm. like that. Well, let, let Palmer, let's give you a chance to you want to explain the the LDS version of the plan of salvation and why you
2: thought it made sense. Sure, that, that's a good place to start. And 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 first, let me go back to uh, I, I guess Leighton's brother Sean and 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 his respectfulness uh, oh. argument, and and which <laughs> which is what inspired me initially to come on here is that it the whole respectfulness thing. I I find it rather funny that anybody who is a member of any religion should be willing to state their beliefs, why they have those beliefs, and where those beliefs disagree with others of religious tilts or non-religious tilts. Uh, I, I don't think it's disrespectful to state your beliefs even if they are not in agreement with what others believe. I don't consider that disrespectful. I consider that you know part of each of us having a freedom of speech. Uh, so anyway, that's why I wanted to come on here. I'm not afraid to talk about what I believe, why I believe it, and I think everybody else should have that same right even if they disagree with me. Well, before we move on, how would you rate us with disrespect? <laughs> um, well, rather disrespectful, but I support your free speech rights to say as you please. I like you. Oh, good.
1: <laughs> I'm right, glad continue. I like you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't okay. think you want to be liked too much by me. Trust me, I'll show up on your doorstep someday. Wow,
2: well, there, there's always a couch you can crash on.
1: the couch I was hoping for. I, I like to spork with men.
2: Oh, You'll have to find a different man.
1: <laughs> hey, you are a missionary. You were trapped in a
2: room with another man. I'm sure there was some. <laughs> yeah, two years of practice. You, uh, you know the practice. rules. You know the rules they have on that. When you open up the little missionary handbook, there is a specific rule that states you are to sleep in the same bedroom, but not the same bed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't think that would have to be specified, but that's in the rule book.
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I guess uh, sometimes some men were waking up with another man. <laughs> well, look, like
2: I said, Mormons are
0: frugal, right? They yeah. why have two Why pay for two beds when you can get by with one?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Now, most two, people two would beds, mis- one bedroom. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most
1: people would describe that as a bad night in Tijuana, but you guys call it a mission. So.
2: <laughs> bad two years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, proceeding on to the plan of salvation. And that's what has always uh, been the amazing thing to me about Mormonism is the the continuity, the global scale, I, I guess you could call it the galactic scale of of the plan of salvation where you have God as the father of all of us and the end goal, or the end hope I guess rather, is that we can become as he is it's no secret that mormons believe that human beings can become as god is uh, and and it shouldn't be a secret that that's a basic tenet of our doctrine and we, we shouldn't be ashamed of that even if it's different from what a lot of other christians believe and the other fantastic thing uh that i always that i like to talk about with the plan of salvation you you both have heard i'm sure of the problem of evil the problem of hell the problem of the devil the the uh, philosophical conundrum that traditional Christianity has found itself in.
0: Correct me right. if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, you're right. talking about um, the original Greek problem. I think that was, as it was stated by Epicurus, who said that you know, man or God is uh, supposedly all powerful and he's uh, completely good. Well, uh, wherefore then evil? Right. Uh, either he's right. all powerful and unwilling. Or he's willing but not all-powerful. He can't do it. So the existence of evil is problematic for any religion that's monotheistic and believes in an all-powerful, all-good, supreme-being God. But what's your your theodicy? What's your answer to that?
2: Uh, The answer, and, and Mormonism is the only, I guess, monotheistic religion that I've studied that has a decent answer for that. And that is, as we'll talk about the Book of Abraham later, where some of this has been revealed, and that is that, and also you can go to the King Follett discourse, which was a speech given by Joseph Smith at the funeral of a fellow named King Follett, where he discussed a lot of doctrinal issues, but that God, as the creator, isn't the creator in the way that a lot of other religions suppose. Rather, there is and always have been intelligences out there somewhere that God organizes Uh, Gives them spirit bodies. These intelligences, though, are eternal, always have existed, not created by God at all in the first place, but rather are merely organized by them. And so when God takes these intelligences, gives them spirit bodies, they become his children, creates an earth whereon they can dwell, then they go to earth to learn to be more like God and eventually become like him and, and may progress as far as each of these intelligences chooses. Um and so since God did not create the intelligence in the first place nor its choosing capacity God is merely a facilitator to perfection and that each intelligence may freely choose to progress in so far as it desires and God provides the path to do so.
0: So that's the free will counter argument. That's the free that, that's will the, theodicy. Exactly. But that God doesn't not,
2: that doesn't so cover
0: I, natural evil such as the recent earthquake in Haiti. Uh, there was no free will involved in that, no one's evil. Planted a bomb underneath Haiti to cause all that uh, natural evil and horrible suffering. Neither does it cover this recent tsunami, or say HIV, or uh,
2: starving children around or, the world, or any other horrible bad thing that happens. Exactly. Right. And so, and so, how is that dealt with? And and again, going right to the Book of Abraham. So I'm excited. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, you learn that each of us, the children of God, had a hand in creating this world whereon we dwell. It's, it was meant to be a test. It was meant to be difficult. It was meant to have many horrible things happen and many good things. And the point is is to see how we last through it all, to, to test our faith, to test our patience. And each of us agreed, uh, according to Mormon doctrine, each of us agreed to come down here and put up with the unpleasantries, uh, knowing that in the end we would be with God again and things would be made right.
0: So we're talking in theoretics, but let me give you, say, an actual situation. I mean, what you're telling me is that you fly over to Africa. You see a three-year-old little child there with his distended belly in excruciating pain. You're chowing down on a Big Mac. Mayonnaise is dripping down your uh, lips. You're sucking your fingers, and you're telling the kid, hey, it builds character to be in this much pain. Take another bite of your Big Mac suck out some coke. I'd give you some of this, but you agreed to this in the pre-existence, so I'm just going to sit you there and uh, let you suffer. The kid's just looking at you, please, please give me some food. And you polish off your Big Mac and walk away. That is essentially what God is doing. He has the power to change things. At any moment, he can have a big old watermelon sprout out of the ground. He can change the content in the soil so they can farm things. He could Sprout a Big Mac himself and have it rain double cheeseburgers on these kids. But he doesn't. He has the power to do it, but he doesn't. And that kid, say, starves to death three weeks later. He gets up to heaven and says, what in the hell was that about? I went there, I starved to death, and (laughs) now I'm here. Now, if I would have done that 200 years ago, uh, I wouldn't have even had a chance uh, to get the priesthood. Now I have the chance to get the priesthood, assuming I'm male. Uh, but uh, <laughs> didn't even live to get it. What's the point? What did he learn? The kid wasn't even old enough to learn any character-building lessons from starving to death.
2: Well, and, and that that brings up a few issues, uh, at least according to Mormon doctrine. And again, I'm going to approach this from my of side, course. assuming Mormon doctrine is true. How else, sure. you know, how else could I approach it? And so, okay, so a couple issues. First, we don't know what each of us is sent here to learn and not learn. It is perfectly reasonable that according to Mormon doctrine, that we are sent here to, if nothing else, get a physical body because that is, again is one step to becoming as God is, if that's the only thing we need to learn here, then that's the only thing we get to learn uh so be it that you know that's for God to decide, not me uh well, sure, it's, if that, if that it's, were it's the his case. Respons- it's his responsibility to ensure that we come here and learn everything we need to learn. He's failing miserably in that regard.
0: I mean, if it's just uh, the body, then they can just have the kid and have it die a painless death uh, as soon as he gets out of the womb. Why is God keeping these poor kids alive for four or five years in excruciating torment on a daily basis? Why does he keep these poor kids with cancer? Why does he keep causing all this pain or allowing it to happen? I mean, to me, there's no moral difference between allowing pain to occur or uh, when you're able to prevent it. Or causing yourself. What were you going to say, Leighton?
1: Well, I was going to point out that uh, I, I find all of that bullshit and that's mostly just because <laughs> I, I've seen this in my family. Now, one of my older sisters was raped and uh, basically uh, God was standing there while she was raped and she was an excellent student before that, a very good girl. She gets raped and it completely destroyed her self-esteem from there she got into drugs after that she uh... started sleeping with whoever was around and i've actually seen this with friends sisters as well and then she got so bad into drugs that she started having kids as a way to support herself those kids were taken away from her she had more kids to support herself soon crack babies started popping up now the reason why i find this to be complete bullshit is you're telling me that we have one chance down here on earth to figure out who we are and to figure out what challenges we're going to go through in this existence and you're telling me my sister was up there in heaven as God laid out her life to her and says oh yeah you're gonna be raped here you're gonna completely discover that uh, you have no self-esteem because of this one moment in your life which completely changed your path and you're you're telling me my sister sat up there with God and said you know what I'm fine with treading that path I'm fine with the fact that because I was raped and turned aside from this good wholesome life that I had I am now no longer going to be able to make it to the celestial kingdom because my drugs and uh, sex habit which have developed from this one instance are keeping me in either the terrestrial or the telestial world that is why I find this whole thing bullshit. So I would really like to know how you respond
2: to something like that. All right. Well, first, I'm going to be the last person to judge your sister, what she's gone through, how she's responded to that. Again, that's not me. That That's God's job to do, not mine. And I don't know, or rather, I don't believe that God has... Everything all planned out, you know the whole all-knowing instance of God that that a lot of people believe in, and I think this is an area where Latter-day Saints, faithful Latter-day Saints, could be at odds with with their understanding of what what does it mean when you say God is all-knowing. If you say God is all-knowing and knows everything, everything is already mapped out perfectly, every instance of every action, then that seems to to totally counteract the whole free will argument, which I believe very strongly in. Rather, I believe just... God is in, rather I believe God is in control. He knows everything that can be known, all the principles of science, nature, etc. He knows us very well, but I don't know that he knows every single action that we are going to choose before we choose it, or else that that seems to totally destroy free will. So again, my interpretation of God being all-knowing is not that he knows perfectly everything that's going to happen. Um, So given that, we live here in a world of chaos, We live in a world of free will. We live in a world of other people's free will that often affects us adversely, as is the case with your sister. Some horrible person uh, did some horrible things to her, which affected her adversely. Now, that's for God to determine what she can handle and what she can't and to judge her according to her capacity. Uh, If she's doing the best she can under the circumstances, even if that means... Uh, being in the, the horrible and, and tragic position she is now, then then that's for God to judge if she's doing the best she can with what she has. And that's all God expects of any of us, regardless of how much knowledge we have or gain or don't have. God expects us to do a good job with what we are given. And then but he'll take care of the rest.
1: Doesn't that contradict your statement about how in the preexistence all of us sat down and said to God, I understand that I will go through these tribulations. If God doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, then how can you sit down in the pre-existence and plan out your life? Uh, what the point? What would be the point of patriarchal blessings if God doesn't know exactly what's going to be happening?
2: Well, as you and I both know, patriarchal blessings are not terribly specific most of the time. Some may be. <laughs> That's because they come from a template. but Or... Like, or... Useful <laughs> Not terribly specific or useful Anyway, so individuals <laughs> Or God can it Has plenty of Capacity to see That whatever is promised or, or Needs to happen with the patriarchal blessing That can happen um, and, and again, it, in my interpretation Of things in the pre-existence when we saw What we were all getting ourselves Into as we Participated in the creation of the earth, we knew it would be a place of chaos, a place of difficulty, a cl- a case of trial, and and horrible and extreme trial. It, it's funny to me when we see things through the eyes of of a modern developed country. Through the vast history of humanity, the the cushy lives we have now that it's it's the extreme extreme minority of what could have happened and what has happened. Normally, most human societies have been brought up in uh, in slavery, in horrible prejudice, in torture, unfair laws uh at war i mean that that 's been the common state of human affairs and and we live in a very blessed and lucky time that that's not the case, but yes, generally, we knew we'd come down here in this uh this veil of tears as it is called and and, and be forced to deal with some horrible things
0: uh one of the problems with the free will counter argument is uh the omniscience and and i you know philosophically it's 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 a complex nuanced issue but uh I believe if God is all knowing, we don't have free will. I agree with you right um, the The only problem with sacrificing God's omniscience is that he requires it in order to judge us if if he doesn't know something uh that is uh <laughs> pertinent or um uh would change his judgment as to which kingdom we go in Mormon theology. Then uh, he cannot adequately judge us. So, in order to judge us, he needs to be omniscient. He needs to know everything.
2: Well he, well, he needs to know everything that has happened, not everything that will. When it comes to stand before him, I mean, the the records are kept, as it were, in heaven, and so he will have known everything that has happened and can judge us accordingly.
1: Well, see, another problem with your uh, with your philosophy is the fact of the matter once again going back to planning out mapping out your life before you came here if God didn't understand exactly what was gonna happen then all of a sudden oops my sister gets raped and now her children are standing in line and God has to run up flip out the television real quick and say okay sorry this is what's gonna happen to you now so how is it that anybody at that point any intelligence can make an informed decision to come down here with their one earthly existence to be judged by when all of a sudden uh, God doesn't know everything, you're standing at the portal about to jump into that womb, and all of a sudden he's flashing up, oh, by the way, uh, due to the circumstances that have come up to this point, this is what I believe is going
2: to happen to you. That's that's basically what you're saying. Well, uh, Again, the scary circumstances, horrible and tragic circumstances for all humanity, has been almost the norm. Uh, and so, yes, I, I the way I understand it, we agreed to jump into that, the horrible, tragic circumstances, because it is worth it and necessary to become as God is.
0: Do you uh, believe in prophecy? I
2: do. How is that possible if God doesn't know the future? Because God is in control of the entire arrangement. How if he doesn't know everything? Because He he's the one pulling the levers. He has sufficient power to bring about what he wants to get done, even if we, as imperfect individuals, are the ones he uses to do it. If one of us fails at a task that he needs to get done, he'll use somebody else. If they fail, he'll use somebody else. God will get his big, overarching goals done, and and it's our responsibility to do the best we can with what we have.
0: So this Mormon view actually is not an omnipotent, omniscient being. He's actually very potent and very knowledgeable, but not...
2: All powerful and all knowledgeable. Yeah. See, this is completely. Yes. More, more or less. That's exactly the way I understand it, and I don't see how any intelligent, educated person can understand it otherwise. Once you look into it,
1: if, if, you just shot down my entire family, my friend. If he,
2: <laughs> if, uh,
0: if you're sacrificing his ability to know everything, and his ability to have um, all power. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure why he wouldn't not be all good either. Why, you know, he he might have a little streak of evil in him too.
1: Well, well he would have to if he's going to stand there and watch people get if, raped and murdered because I mean, if he has the power to stop it.
0: If he's not all perfect, if he's not all powerful and all knowing, then I don't even know how you could surmise that he's all good. And if that's the case, wow, you're getting way far away from typical deities uh, to someone that is sort of a maybe. Uh, really powerful alien species. I mean, Joseph Smith said he lived on the planet that revolves around Kolob, so maybe that's correct. Maybe that is Mormon theology. It seems pretty bizarre. I mean, well,
2: any, any theology is bizarre if you're not used to it. That's just the nature of theology. If you look at any other religion that you're not used to, all of their ordinances and rituals and beliefs are bizarre, but once you get used to things, they become more normal. Yes, Mormon theology is not like other Christian theology. If it were, there would have been no need for a restoration. Uh, but it's not. It's it's more complete, and and I don't see that somebody not being all powerful in the traditional sense. For example, a God who, can God make a rock that he can't lift? Uh, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it, it's silly questions like that. That I I don't think him not being all powerful in the traditional Christian sense, or even being all knowing in the traditional Christian sense. Uh, would prevent him from being all good i don't see why that necessarily excludes it,
0: so I wonder what's his limitation in knowledge what uh what doesn't he know
2: just the future uh, i I would suggest this as far as I can measure out just the future as far as I can figure out
0: and actually the the theology that i'm familiar with anyone's theology because this is none of this is based on evidence it's not like we can go up and test the limits of god's power or god's knowledge it's Correct. just constrained by philosophy. So the philosophers say, look, if you think he's all-powerful, well, what about this rock that he can't lift? Or uh, if you think he's all-knowing, then um, you can't have free will. And you go, well, that seems absurd, so maybe he doesn't have a whole lot of power. Or you just toss it out and say the Bible's true. Or you say, you know, I really like free will, so it, so maybe he's not powerful, uh, or all-powerful, or all-knowing. So I, th- I think uh, I, I would prefer to have free will. I mean, my problem with Mormonism, I suppose in general, but religion in particular, is that you guys are just kind of flying off of uh, the seat of your pants here. There's no evidence for any of this stuff. You just kind of think what kind of God you like, and that's the kind of God you worship.
2: That's one way to look at it. I, I think how I would answer that is God isn't just... When we get to evidence, evidence is you can't really test God by the scientific method. Uh, He has seemingly not allowed that. For example, you two may be familiar with prayer experiments that have been done where they go out and scientifically prove the inefficacy of prayer. Uh, But if God is not willing to be discovered and determined by science, uh, then, then he is free to still reveal whether it's revelations, answer prayers, give you insights... Uh, teach you about who he is and what he does through inspiration. Uh, you no, know, it is not subject to normal scientific method evidence gathering. Well, now, hold on a second. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist.
0: How do you know it's a, it exists? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your bar of ontology that's saying
2: God exists if he's not amenable to evidence? Uh, he's not amenable to the scientific method. That doesn't mean there's not evidence. He communicates with people via the Holy Spirit, and teaches them to be good Teaches them what is true And helps them progress Long Inspires them at times when uh, He desires that they be inspired And when they ask for it How do you know this? Uh, you, I mean, frankly you feel it
1: well, Now my question is So you've got God here Where they're, they're actually doing the prayer experiments Which I have researched You have God hiding
2: during these moments Is that correct? Uh, the way I see it is well I guess you could use the term hiding that's as fine as any other or it's God has a program for how you come to him the scientific method is not that program
1: so basically uh, that would mean according to doctrine covenant 76 it basically states that the telestial kingdom is for rapists murderers and atheists I'm an atheist for the simple fact that God has hidden himself so thoroughly for for or from me so basically what you're saying here is God knew me he knew the fact that as I watched this pile of evidence rise
2: against him and he was hiding behind it so basically it's God's fault I'm an atheist. God will judge us according to the light and knowledge that we have received if and the telestial kingdom I would submit is for those who have received whatever amounts of light and knowledge they receive, whatever amounts of inspiration to do good to know right, and actively reject those and actively seek evil, knowing they are doing evil that is what the celestial those are the types of folks the celestial kingdom is for what now? The, well
0: according oh, to sorry, the, the according to the scripture uh, you have the celestial kingdom for people, you know, who believe in Jesus and, uh, and are essentially Mormons and are really good. The the terrestrial kingdom is for people who believe in Jesus, just not the flavor of Jesus that is correct. They've been deceived by men. And the telestial kingdom is for people who don't believe in Jesus. I mean, you can be a great, great person, but there's no room in the celestial kingdom or the terrestrial kingdom for you if you don't believe in Jesus, according to D&C
2: 76. Oh, yes, but that doesn't mean the is that the, the terrestrial kingdom, as I understand it, is for those who. Let me see how I can. I, I can't remember exactly what the scripture says. I'm sure one of you could bring it up faster than I could if you have it up there in front of you. It is for those people who try to live good lives but do not keep seeking God. And if in the next life, if you if you live as a good atheist throughout your life and intentionally reject. Uh, those overtures God makes towards you but generally live a good life you may accept him in the next and go to the terrestrial kingdom and again as you said the celestial kingdom is reserved the, the highest degree of heaven in Mormon theology is reserved for those who have made the covenant with Christ to have him cover their sins and then they have proceeded from there to do a good job at keeping that covenant alive through their obedience and faith
0: let me read it to you, D&C Go for it. 7681 And again we saw the glory of the telestial Which glory is that of the lesser Even as the glory of the stars differs from that of the glory of the moon in the firmament These are they who received not the gospel of Christ Neither the testimony of Jesus So, uh, and a little download, uh, 84 These are they who are thrust down to hell
2: <laughs> Yes, and by received not It means it was offered to them and, and and this can't only be a mere offering like you're wandering around, you see a Mormon missionary and he says, hey, want to learn about the Book of Mormon? You're like, no, I don't know you. Get away, you creep. You know, if that's your immediate response and you are never given a proper offering by God, in other words, when he inspires you to learn more about it and then you reject it, you know, you know that that's what matters. Well, um,
0: uh, Leighton, for example, not me because I was raised as a fundamentalist, but Leighton spent his life in the church Certainly had every opportunity It was presented to him um, He decides not to do it But as otherwise a good person He's still going to hell Mormon hell He has to accept For whatever reason He has to accept Jesus as the Christ And, and, and the Lord and Savior And uh, I mean he can keep Every commandment With the exception of I suppose Honoring
1: uh... Their father and mother <laughs> right. That didn't work but uh, uh, considering their, their nicknames are old man and old woman, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean basically he can be a really good person well he doesn't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and will be thrust down to hell. I mean, that doesn't sound like again an all benevolent being or even a very uh, and,
2: decent one. And again, and, and that's that's the I, I I hate to call it the lovely thing about Mormon hell, as you call it. But uh again in, in Mormonism there there is not the concept of this eternal burning torture in hell. Uh, for anything you've done But rather anyone who does not have The active uh, covenant relationship With Jesus Christ In other words making him their savior And making him cover up And and, and get rid of their sins for them Anyone who doesn't do that Will end up have to, having to suffer for their own sins In whatever condition hell is Until they have paid for them Themselves in the same manner that Jesus Paid for the sins And, and once they've paid for them all Once they've paid for all the harm they've done Whatever harm that is then they, they come out of that and inherit a kingdom of glory. Uh, but specifically... And, and again, it's, not, it's not up for me to judge how much revelation Leighton has received and rejected. That's not for me. Uh, that's between Leighton and God. Well, that brings up a question.
1: What is the measure of truth and knowledge by which you say, I will be
2: judged? Yeah, that's between you and God. It depends on what he has asked you to do and what you have done with it.
1: Well, my question, the reason why I ask that, is the church leaders in The Mantle is Far, Far Greater state that although some things are true, they are not very useful, which tells me that even if something is unambiguously true, that it's not useful and therefore it's completely ignored. Now, that is why I bring up the measure of truth and knowledge. This is coming from your church leaders talk to seminary teachers and elders.
2: How does that fit into any sort of equation? Things that are true may not be useful? Well, there's a billion things that are true and may not be useful. In fact, there's so many things that are true we can't know them all. Our brains are only finite. Uh, I I don't get your concern.
1: Well, take the fact, uh, I didn't really want to go into this, but take the fact that Oliver Cowdery was excommunicated because he accused Joseph Smith of committing adultery with Fanny Alger, he got excommunicated, and then a time went by, and then all of a sudden Joseph Smith suddenly purported this uh, new revelation of uh, polygamy, and oh, by the way, Fanny Alger was his first wife. That is true, but it's not very useful because it's not taught in mainstream mor- Mormonism.
2: So your concern is that there are certain historical elements of the church that are not taught because they are unflattering, and I would also say not terribly useful. Uh, There's more than just a few, but yes. How can you come out
1: on top saying you are the one true gospel, when even in your history there is constant change, constant shift, even in the temple ceremony they were changing things, and there's constant hiding of things as they move forward in fact, uh I'm sure we'll get into it, but just this uh last year, there was uh the archaeologist down in uh, you'd know his name Charlie the archaeologist down at b y u even pointed out that the the book of Abraham uh doesn't determine whether or not the Book of Mormon stands or falls, which tells me they're running out of excuses for it, and it's slowly going to go the way of everything else. So this is what this is my problem. There is all this truth in the past of the church with the prophets with Joseph Smith alone there's mind-boggling amounts of things that make you just scratch your head. And yet despite all of this, even though it's unambiguously true, it's hidden. And uh in fact, if you start asking about it, as I did to my father, uh they usually tell you either not to look into it or they tell you I know a lot more than you do, and so you're just to trust me on this. How does that
2: equate into the one true religion? Well, for starters, it's important to remember that nobody is perfect. And, and beyond nobody being perfect, we all make stupid mistakes, Joseph Smith included, Brigham Young included, we are all human. God has very imperfect tools to work with. Uh, the other thing to recall is that, especially as the church was beginning, starting in the frontier America with a, a lot of rather unsophisticated individuals in a different time and different culture than our own, uh, it's it's amazing how much they did accomplish despite their cultural, and educational, and and just plain human limitations.
0: You know. People made, um...
2: Sorry, go ahead. Your job is I mean, made
0: really difficult, Palmer, by the fact that we're talking about very vague things. Right. Why don't we talk about specific things? So uh, that I way like he can size, defend yeah. a specific thing. We'll make it a little easier on you. Um let's move into do you want to talk about um LDS support for Proposition eight?
2: Uh sure. Let's let's deal with proposition eight.
0: So proposition uh, eight, um I'm sure everyone in our audience is familiar with it. Um it's California's proposition. To uh, essentially define marriage as one man, one woman, and, and reject uh, the court's acceptance of homosexual marriage, um, the church put some money into uh, um, funding advertisements for it, and they actually put out statements telling essentially their wards to to go vote in support of Proposition A. Uh, for me, that's church getting in the middle of a political process where they really have no business stating an opinion. You can teach people that homosexuals shouldn't marry, but you got to leave it at that. I, I think you really shouldn't tell people what they should vote yes or no on any political proposition.
2: But go ahead. All right. So, Proposition Eight. I was going to discuss two angles of this. First, there's just the the the, pr- the legal process. Of it all. And then, secondly, there's the spiritual side. I'll start with the legal process. Uh, there are numerous ways to create laws in any state. There's the legislative process where you get the state congress, uh, state legislature together, they vote on laws, they pass, the governor signs them into law. That's the normal process we think of. You also have state constitutional law, which is when the state was founded, there was an original constitution. After that, it can be an amend- amended through a number of different ways. And then you also have common law which is judge made law in other words the judge gets a controversy looks at the law both constitutional and legislative law and then makes a determination as about to, uh, as to how the that law should apply to the controversy before the court and so you you had that happen in in california there was uh, some same same sex couples came together they challenged not being able to get a marriage license The Supreme Court of California looked at the Constitution of California and said, well, you should be able to have marriage licenses according to this constitutional law. Uh, The people got together, the people of California got together, proposed Prop 8, passed Prop 8, amended the California Constitution. It went back to the California Supreme Court again. And the California Supreme Court said, okay, people of California, you used a proper referendum method for amending constitutional law. The Constitution of California now says this we apply the law and the Supreme Court applied the law and and so first there has been the traditional uh, method that or the traditional rule that states are responsible for setting traditional moral standards and how the law should apply to those that's uh, left to the states in the 10th amendment of the federal Constitution and so the states are free to use any method of making a state law to, to set the bounds of any moral issue. And the people of California got together, used a valid method, and passed that. So the, the legal process, it's more or less above criticism, and, and, and even the California Supreme Court upheld that.
0: I would disagree with the California Supreme Court. I don't think basic human rights, such as marriage, should be legislated by majority rule. Basic human rights aren't subject to vote. Basic human rights, such as freedom from slavery, for example, property rights, marriage, who your partner's supposed to be.
2: Uh, Philosophically, you you might be right there, Chuck. Chuck, philosophically, you might be right, but from a legal regime, all of those are are perfectly amendable. We could reinstitute slavery as a country right now if we wanted to. It would take a constitutional amendment, but it could totally legally... Be done that does not mean it 's right to do, but it's, it can very much be done
0: it 's the difference between living in a democracy which was instituted by the Greeks and republic, which is what we live in. We have a constitution that guarantees uh, basic human rights that cannot be voted away. Um, the Constitution lays those forth, and uh, the recent decision in Texas against you know based on constitutional guarantee of privacy, for example. A lot of things have been based on constitutional guarantee of privacy. Uh, uh, the um, Roe v. Wade, based on yep. constitutional guarantee of privacy. The Texas uh, agreement, I'm the the um, case fails me right now. The case name fails uh, Lawrence me. Lawrence v. Texas? That's it, Lawrence v. Texas, based on privacy. Um, we apparently have a constitutional right to that sort of privacy, our own private behavior. Um, and I believe this is going to have to work its way through its court, the courts, and I believe it will. But that uh, constitutionally guaranteed right of privacy is violated here. You don't have any right to tell these people
2: what to do in their own house or homes. No, of um, course not. And uh, neither does the state of California. And the, um, and the state of California is not telling them what they can and can't do in the confines of their own house and in their privacy. It, it absolutely is.
0: Um, and it's telling them that you don't have the same rights as... Heterosexual couples, as far as hospital visitations and insurance and uh, inheritance, um, because you do not have uh, the marriage license, which is given by the state, by the way, and not by any religion. So again, I don't think any religion ought to be involved in this. Um, but uh, go ahead. You were going to talk about the spiritual uh, component of it?
2: Okay, the sp- spiritual component of it. I, I Anyway. Um, but Unless you want to respond to that. Well, I, I wouldn't mind responding to some of those because you, I mean, you have the inheritance rights, the, the hospital visitation, so on and so forth. All of that can be uh, set up via contract. And marriage is just a shorthand that, that sets up a lot of those contractual rules. You can set up your inheritance not, and hospital visitation all you want. Not going uh, to be recognized by the in, state. Well, and inheritance. 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 That's probate law.
0: You, you, can, can, you can do all you want. You could certainly set up inheritance, um, but again, it's subject to review of the state. And hospital visitation subject to review of the state. Uh, insurance that's certainly based on marriage. Marriage itself is contractual,
2: but the state and is not many recognizing. But in California, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, have set up in there that that insurance may be uh, may be shared. But again, that's that's state law. I mean, maybe shared even by a same-sex couple. But that is, again, according to state law. That, that's up for state law, and if they want to change those things, it's up for the people of the state to do so in a in a legal manner following one of the processes for changing state law.
0: Without a marriage license, how do you get the state to recognize your relationship?
2: California already does with their uh, civil union law. Uh, other states don't. That, sure. That's up for states. And if you want to change that law, you need to go through one of the proper methods for changing state law.
0: Civil unions, exactly the same as separate but equal. But anyway... Acts uh, of the 1950s, exactly the same. It's the same old separate but equal. Here, you can have a, a thing that's not called marriage, but it sure is equivalent to marriage. Uh, it's essentially making them a second-class citizen.
2: Well, see, it's, it's not even about separate but equal. I mean, if you want to get down to the technicalities of it, which, unfortunately, that's a lot of the time the way law is interpreted, any human being has the right to marry, in the United States, a person of the opposite sex. It doesn't, marriage doesn't say who you're attracted to or not. Any gay man could marry a gay woman. Any gay woman could marry a straight man. The law is limited, and so if you're going for equal protection grounds, uh, that can easily be trounced on by that. But again, that's a very legalistic, formulaic way to look at things. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I prefer to just say let people in the states determine through whatever legal means the states have set up to change their laws uh, to determine those traditional areas of morality Whether it's gambling in Nevada Even though you can't gamble in Texas uh, That's for the people of each state To determine what their morality is now, you've So why Why, it, but, why but... involve the church then in that process
0: If if you and, and I assume by extension the Mormon church Doesn't care Why did the Mormon church spend thousands of dollars advertising
2: Oh, I, I didn't say I didn't care. I, I do say it's up for the people uh, of any state generally to choose, whether it's by themselves through referendum or through their elected legislators. It's it's still the people choosing even by themselves or vicariously through a legislator. Um, it's up for the people to choose. And people indeed are influenced by religion and not even not religion alone, but any belief system they have. People are influenced by their belief systems, religious and not, and people vote according to those belief systems. Just like you and Leighton, you are atheists, I assume humanists of some sort, that's a a common atheistic moral ground view, and and you are influenced by your humanistic philosophy, and and vote accordingly.
0: I don't take marching orders, Um, and certainly the Mormon Church is in the business of giving their people marching orders. They did it in California, they did it in Hawaii, when the same-sex marriage was up in Hawaii, too. You guys go out and vote for these propositions. It's ridiculous. And you it, guys are, are nonprofit, you're
2: tax supported institutions. Right. You guys should and, not and, be involving yourselves in the political process. As a nonprofit institution, you are not allowed to endorse a specific candidate, but correct. you can certainly take a stand on moral issues, as correct. any nonprofit now, group may do, whether religious or not.
0: We had an attorney write us in and correct us on that. Um, you can endorse a candidate. So. Um, you're exhibiting Old Testament thinking here as far as the letter of the law. You probably should be exhibiting New Testament thinking as far as the spirit of the law. The spirit of that is, what is a candidate? Do you vote on a candidate because of his skin color, or the way he parts his hair, or the eye colors? Or do you vote on the candidate because of the issues? That law is in place to tell you not to interfere, not because the guy has brown hair or he's a specific candidate, not to interfere with the issues, of the, uh, which are the the base a fundamental concern of the political process, the issues. That's not saying, I want here vote for this candidate because he's he's Mormon, essentially. It's saying vote for these propositions, right? To all of our members. Vote for these pro- this is what got you guys in trouble in Missouri and Nauvoo for God's sakes. You guys haven't learned at all in two hundred years. You guys vote as a block, your your leaders tell you to vote as a block, and that causes political problems amongst
2: your neighbors. Uh, Anyway, you guys are are completely right to vote as a block is held by any group It's not the Mormons, it's any belief group Will, because we are people, vote according to our moral foundations Whether that comes from a group we're in Or those moral foundations we divine individually
0: Or a leader, someone who's telling you, vote this way
2: Pull this lever, pull that
0: string Don't use your own independent brain, vote this way, trust me
2: well, I and mean, that's essentially a, what Mormonism indi- is about Well, if you're, if you're using an independent brain As you call it, in other words, if you disagree With the group you're in, then leave the group w- Whether religious or not If you agree with the group Then there's a reason you're in the group And you have that belief And wow. so your essentially
0: Mormonism has The 1970s America Love it or leave it attitude If you don't like Mormonism Get out of there If you don't like America as it is, get out of there Don't try to improve it just leave well, If you That's don't like America saying.
2: as it is Then change it via legal means That, that are appropriate and established In a state or, or federally Follow follow the legal means we have Use the political process
0: So you don't have the love it or leave it mentality um, If you're a Mormon and you disagree with your Mormon authorities You should work within Mormonism
2: To change Mormonism uh, I was talking more about changing the country we live yeah. in But if if you're in any Why group, is it
0: different? Why is your country different from your church?
2: Uh, Do you I disagree
0: with to. any any point of, of doctrine or political stance
2: of your authorities? None that is official.
0: And if your authorities told you to vote in a certain way on any topic, would you and your conscience told you not to vote for that, would you leave Mormonism?
2: If my conscience is telling me to not follow my religion, then chances are I should leave my religion. Very interesting. All right.
0: what's the spiritual component of this? We still haven't gotten to that.
2: So, the spiritual component of Proposition 8, and again, this goes down to the belief systems. Again, these laws are made by people one way or the other. Um, And so, from a religious standpoint, why Mormons would have this belief and want to support it is, again, goes back to the plan of salvation in that the whole point of this is for we intelligences, for we spiritual-souled beings to become like God. God is... Uh, is married is a couple, and it is up for us to become like him. Marriage, it has been the ha, is a method for uh, to help us become like God, and by limiting it to male and female, uh, that it allows us a step towards becoming like him.
0: Well, why did and you so get rid of polygamy why,
2: then? Hold
0: that because God's you. a polygamist. What God is or isn't, <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> God is certainly
2: <laughs> but, a polygamist. But I, I will not doubt that many Mormons believe that.
0: According to Brigham Young, nothing but polygamy is practiced up in heaven. So, uh, I mean, well, that, would
2: be, and that would be impossible unless there were at least two women for every man uh, saved in the celestial kingdom. That's that would be Mathematically impossible.
0: And that's—I've often heard or argued by Mormons that f- the female of the species is much more spiritual, and so it's kind of polygamy is forced upon us in the celestial kingdom. Now, I I find it very interesting the arguing about the the legalities of it, uh, because in 1887 the Edmunds-Tucker Act was passed that disincorporated the LDS church precisely because of marriage issues, because of polygamy. And if you believe that interfering with homosexuals' right to marry is both legally and morally uh, correct... Uh, Based upon um, people's ability To do what they want Within the laws of the state Then the church really should Still be disincorporated And uh, uh, removed off the face of the earth Because that's what they wanted to do They actually The Edmunds Tucker Act Was in direct opposition Between the uh, Church of Jesus Christ Of Latter Day Saints Regarding polygamy Uh, It dissolved the LDS Church Required an anti-polygamy oath For prospective voters Jurors and public officials Annulled territorial laws allowing illegitimate children to inherit. Here we're talking about inheritance laws again. Required right. civil marriage licenses to aid in the prosecution of polygamy, so you couldn't have any spiritual wives. Abrogated the common law spousal privilege for polygamists, so you required wives to testify against their husbands. Disenfranchised women uh, replaced local judges with federally appointed judges and removed local control of the school textbook choice. So, obviously, clearly, three years later... Uh, The Mormons came up with a revelation, the text of which has never been found, even though Wilford Woodruff voluminously recorded in his journals several other revelations. First person, I'm God talking to you. Uh, Conveniently, in 1890, came up with a manifesto getting rid of plural marriage, which of course continued to go on until 1904 when they had to come up with a second manifesto. This time, for sure, get rid of plural marriage. So I'm surprised you're uh, arguing from legalistic terms when the exact same uh, stuff was used against you to essentially destroy the church. And I think it's fairly hypocritical, frankly, for the church to be supporting uh, a proposition banning homosexuals' right to marry when 100 years ago they were in the exact same spot, the minority spot, where people didn't like how they were marrying.
2: Well, Extremely two hypocritical. Two, two points. I mean, yes, that the, the Edmunds-Tucker Act was aimed at uh, destroying polygamy. Uh, B, it worked. Uh, and again, I was talking about Mormon belief here and why they would support it. Obviously, Mormon belief shows very much why they would not have supported the Edmunds-Tucker Act. Uh, but second, when the law came down to it, and when the law was enforced through, well, the the the, the Supreme Court went pretty far in. Uh, in uh, in upholding that act, it was it was it, I was pretty astonished in reading that opinion, but regardless, the Mormon Church they capitulated, they went along with the law. This is what the law says. We uphold, honor, and sustain the law. Yes, it took some time to work out all the logistics on the ground level, but the Mormon Church came around to it and, and well, obeyed the law. And it so, wasn't
0: the ground level; it was the highest levels of uh, your church. Uh, Wilford Woodruff himself. Uh, conducted a marriage in international waters uh, I think it was in 1897 um, And at, at least two apostles were excommunicated For continuing to marry people in polygamous uh, relationships Matthias Cowley and John W. Taylor These are not ground level people right. This
2: isn't rank and file This is at the highest right, level and me of the me church restate, at, 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 Let me restate then At all levels of the church It took a while to figure out how to implement this logistically I mean it's very difficult to have this principle that's been practiced for so long And is held in such high regard And then as the deepest part of, the, uh, of your beliefs And so yeah, for a while there There was some civil disobedience going on there I would say it's very easy Especially for the president
0: Who supposedly received this revelation himself uh, You know, seven years later Marrying people in polygamous uh, relationships uh, On the technicality, of course He's in international waters He's something like seven miles offshore but of course, they're going to come back and cohabit.
2: There, there's, there's still some debate on, on how, on what Wilfred Woodruff said when there seemed to be some indications that even after the law was passed, he was for never abandoning polygamy. Uh, right. There are other indications. He, he seemed to vacillate there for a while, as as far as statements he made on what the church would or wouldn't do. It, well, it was you can a see why, of,
0: because. I can certainly see why 1889 the last first person revelation In quotes to be received by Wilford Woodruff Or any LDS Prophet again in quotes uh, Was should I uh, Capitulate and should I uh, Issue a manifesto Banning polygamy or plural marriage And the revelation says No you shouldn't abrogate my law uh, And so nine months Later he signs the manifesto Which abrogated the law of polygamy And again, coincidence or not, I don't know whether the prophets felt guilty uh, (laughs) or really didn't receive a revelation from God from then on out. But you got nothing from there to the current day from God himself. You got a couple dreams or visions. You got people saying they're inspired by stuff. But it's no longer D&C, thus saith the Lord, I'm God talking to you. And I think that's interesting because it occurred within the lifespan of one Uh, president of the church, Wilford Woodruff, who received two or three revelations beforehand, lived, I don't know, eight more years and didn't receive any more afterwards. Uh, Probably, to me, it seems like it's just guilt, because I don't believe any of these guys were prophets or apostles in the first place.
1: Of course you don't. Um,
0: But uh, I think the timing is very interesting.
1: No, I've I've remained silent, because truth be told, what you've said, Palmer, has increasingly pissed me off and I'm trying to keep this civil. (laughs) My question for you...
0: Well, hang on a how... second. Hang on a second, Layton. What exactly has he said that's pissed you off?
1: The whole gay thing. How, how many gay people do you know, Palmer? Only a couple.
0: Hey, Leighton, Next... some, of, some of my best friends are gay.
1: Yeah, I'm your best friend. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Go ahead. Palmer. Next time you see these gay people that you know, I want you to walk up to them, and I want you to tell them that what they are doing is not only morally wrong, but they don't deserve the same rights that you do and I want you to watch the reaction in their face and tell me that is moral.
2: Are you still there? I'm still here. I don't exactly know how to respond to that.
1: (laughs) You're you're kicking these guys in the balls and telling them that they are not moral and they do not deserve the basic human right to marry whoever they fucking want. I want you to walk up to their face and tell them that and watch their reaction, and then you tell me how this is moral.
0: I mean I would disagree with the Supreme Court in 1890. I disagree with the Edmunds-Tucker Act and I disagree with uh, Proposition 8. And and I think that uh if Mormons want to marry uh consenting adults, you know, one of the problems is that uh, a lot of the fundamentalists are marrying, you know, 13 and 14-year-old women who are cannot consent. Uh and as well as uh, I think a few in Joseph Smith's time, I think Fanny Alger was 16 or 17, um, but I would say, if so long as they're consenting adults and everyone's aware of the situation, go ahead and marry three or four women, and women marry three or four men, uh, men marry each other. Uh, I think we should take religion out of it. I think we should take the state out of it and make it a purely contractual uh, obligation, contracted between however many parties of whatever gender want to be involved.
2: Um, and that is that is certainly certainly a legal option you could take, is to just get the government out of marriage entirely. That's absolutely. That would be perfectly legal if it ever happens. I don't
0: know why the government is invested in marriage in the first place. Why is the government issuing uh, I, me a license saying I can marry? It's ridiculous. Uh, I
2: believe the government is trying to establish, give incentives <laughs> to establish family units uh, mm-hmm. to increase the... Uh, the stability of society to increase GDP, uh, oh, bullshit! GPA, the government is
1: run by Christians and Christians well, are, are all against gays and that's why. Well, I, I'm no, sorry. Bullshit. I'm, I'm just trying so to get some secular legal, reasons
2: for why the government would support marriage as opposed to getting out of the marriage business. That's
0: the, that's the legal precedent, right? That's the, the state's uh, overriding interest in marriage. But again, I think certainly over the last 50 years that's shown to be a load of crap. Divorce rates, 50%. Um, Either the government's not doing enough And I certainly don't want them more involved In my marriage (laughs) uh, Then they they either do a lot more Or they do a hell of a lot less Anyway, um, did you want to say anything else On that, uh, Palmer?
2: No, I'm good, we can can move on on. Let's move
1: on before I punch something I'm
0: really taking this personally.
1: (laughs) Well, the reason why I'm taking it personally is I had a conversation with a gay friend of mine just this morning about how uh, one of his Mormon friends actually walked up to him and started screaming at him for trying to change marriage and the sacred right to marriage. So uh, this has just kind of hit me at the wrong time, because I want to punch something right now.
0: I mean, I I would just have responded to him that, um, that my marriage or right to marry or desire to marry a homosexual mate has nothing to do with his marriage right, it, just, it, it, it amazes me that um, anyone's concerned about homosexuals marrying at all anywhere because I mean, I'm married to my wife, i got two kids whatever anyone wants to do in Utah, in my neighborhood, in California in Vermont, in Hawaii I couldn't care less, I, I really couldn't um, if they want to marry it has nothing to do with my own marriage and you know, uh, if it's not just Mormons either We're picking on Palmer here But there were a lot of um, evangelical, fundamentalist, Protestant religions That were also involved in that And unfortunately, if you look at the statistics It wasn't the Mormons um, per se that were voting in droves It was the Hispanics and the blacks so Who carried that through Those were the key demographics that pushed it over in, in California I hold the Mormons partly responsible because of their involvement in the commercials, which may have influenced those demographics. But I don't think they had the numbers in California to sway the vote.
1: They just had the money. With you, Palmer, I'm more angry with Christians in general, just because I can't fathom how you can stand up there and tell somebody that although even in Mormon theology you're supposed to come down here and choose the life you want to have. And yet Mormons are standing up there, along with all other Christians. I'm pissed off at all Christians for this stupidity. <laughs> but Mormons stand up there and say, well, even though you're here to choose what kind of life you want to have, uh, we're going to do our best to put a stop to what you want to do because, well, you want to get married. But hey, but anyway, let, let's move on before this gets any – yeah, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> all right. Or
2: lady-throttle I mean, something. We're yes. well
0: over the well over the hour mark, but um, I did want to talk about the Book of Abraham. I think all okay. of us are.
2: are, are we'll we'll do that, that as that. our as our concluding segment.
0: Book of Abraham, we've gone over this actually in a prior podcast, and uh, so let's very briefly give the story of what happened in 1835. There was a traveling antiquities dealer who wanted to unload the the last cache of mummies. There were four mummies and a number of scrolls. And uh, he came into Kirtland, Ohio Where Joseph Smith and the the Mormons Were primarily staying at the time And a number of people brought it to Joseph Smith's attention Saying, hey, you know You translated the Book of Mormon Out of Reformed Egyptian And uh, we have some Egyptian papyri Can you also translate this? And so he comes out there They unroll some of the scrolls And he says, "Uh, oh my god What a coincidence This is
1: (laughs) the Book of Abraham Less of what a coincidence, more of, wow, God is so powerful, he has protected this and brought (laughs) it into my hands.
0: This is the Book of Abraham, uh, written by his own hand on the papyrus. Uh, So they got together $2,400, they bought it from the guy, and uh, Joseph Smith then proceeded to translate these papyri into... The Book of Abraham, which is reproduced um, and often packaged with the Book of Mormon, called the Pearl of Great Price, is kind of like an appendix or an end section. So, in the Pearl of Great Price, there's the Book of Abraham uh, and the was it the Book of Moses, and they got three facsimiles in there uh, that uh, show. I think uh, Joseph Smith says there's an idolatrous priest of Elkanah who's sacrificing Abraham. And there's four idolatrous gods With various uh, names Underneath the sacrificial table Uh, There is a circle Showing uh, Some astrology or something Lots of (laughs) different things And then the the third facsimile I think is where uh, Abraham is holding court uh, In front of Pharaoh teaching him some astronomy Or something I think is what it is Now this book is important because uh, We've touched on this a little bit This was the basis for the Uh, Doctrine on the curse uh, Of the uh, priesthood That through Ham Came Canaan, Canaan was cursed According to the the curse of the priesthood To preserve Cain's uh, Black seed I guess And these people couldn't have the priesthood So this is uh, from 1835 To 1978 This was kind of the foundational document For that theology So it's very important to figure out If this book of Abraham is uh, actually a Uh, truthful translation of those uh, Egyptian papyri, if they actually were uh, written by Abraham or copied down the years uh, from an original uh, manuscript from Abraham. Uh, But to make a long story short, it's been showed to numerous Egyptologists down the years and down the centuries. The first one, I believe, to look at it was in 1856, a French scholar uh, who, you know, everyone agrees on this Every Egyptologist, Mormon and non-Mormon alike Agree this is not the Book of Abraham At least as Joseph Smith rendered it It's uh Book of Breathings, or the Breathing Permit of Whore And the uh, Book of the Dead These are common funerary scrolls um,
1: Not least. only this, but in the early 1900s Uh, the Egyptologists after uh, the Rosetta Stone, which at the time of this everything going on was being translated by Champollion. In the early 1900s, these uh, Egyptologists got together and they published a New York Times story pointing out that Joseph Smith was absolutely wrong, pointing out that there were holes here and there, which is why you have a human head instead of the head of Anubis, why this dude isn't grabbing his phallus. And right. the LDS Church stood up and said, "No, that is incorrect. That was, this is the Book of Abraham."
0: That was Reverend Spaulding. He uh, got a hold of the facsimile, he sent them to, I believe, twelve Egyptologists. Eight of whom uh, returned correspondence saying, "You know, this this is total fabrication. It's not what Joseph Smith, you know, uh, said. He had no 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 knowledge of Egyptology whatsoever." Blah blah blah. Uh, the Mormon Church's response to that was, "You got to have the source documents um, in order to critique this." book of abraham the joseph smith translation you need the source documents well everyone thought they were lost in the chicago fire um but it turns out in 1966 a university of utah anthropologist i think was rummaging around in the uh, metropolitan museum of art and found the a bunch of joseph smith papyri including a bill of sale from emma smith saying that these were the original documents. Now, clearly, uh, we're missing some. We don't have the one where... We don't have the hypocephalus, where facsimile 2 came from. I think there may be one or two other documents that we're missing. Um, but
2: we have the vast majority of them. Uh, from what I understand, we have the vast minority of them. I think uh, there are
0: only one or two that are missing. Yeah, there's that only, we have references to.
2: There's well, only a couple I- missing. I- if you're talking about the only the uh, facsimiles. We, we may have some of that, but as far as I understand, as far as the actual textual documents, we have very, very little. According By to way. this, I haven't checked the site on it, Joseph Smith had in his possession three or four long scrolls, plus a hypocephalus. Of these original materials, only a handful of fragments were recovered at the Metropolitan Museum.
1: Well, see, There's one more problem with this whole claim that we don't have all the, uh, the documents. There is actually, uh, when, when they found it, the Egyptian characters that uh, Joseph Smith was copying across in the left margin of his document, as he writes entire paragraphs concerning one single symbol in the Egypt language, it matches up perfectly with the uh, the book of Abraham and the document that they have
0: say I say I concede that uh, we have just a tiny, tiny uh, portion of the
2: scrolls. No All right, and I will quickly concede also that everything we have is the Book of Breathings or whatever else, and has nothing. any translation has nothing to do with whatever's in the Book of Abraham. So
0: then the question uh. would be, did Joseph Smith translate the Book of Abraham
2: from what we have? And the obvious answer is, it depends on what you mean by translate. If you mean read what is there and got the Book of Abraham, then obviously no, because what's there isn't the Book of Abraham. Then right. how did you get it? Alright. Uh and this is you're not going to like this explanation, so I'm just gonna say that <laughs> <You're> gonna <laughs>
0: preface this up for
2: preface this let, let me preface this with you're not gonna like it. So I mean we've already discussed that we don't have everything, so that's one option is the book of Abraham could have been on other scrolls no longer in possession. Assuming that's not the case. Oh and let's quickly deal with the on his own hand upon papyrus. Uh, we can deal with that quickly as well that on his own by his own hand, could mean it was merely op- authored by Abraham, or it could mean that the original was authored by Abraham, and this is a copy and so that that argument doesn't mean very much either except
0: Joseph Smith had a, a few visitors over to his house uh, where he specifically uh pointed out <laughs> that it was uh, in April eighteen forty. Joseph Smith showed the papyri to a newspaper reporter, pointed to a particular hieroglyph, and said. That is a signature of the patriarch Abraham. That's from A Glance at the Mormons, the Quincy Whig, 17 October 1840.
2: So, And he, and again, that doesn't that doesn't discount that it could be a copy of what Abraham wrote, including a copy of his signature. They're copying his signature. Well, there, if the document is copied in, in its entirety, it would include whatever was there before.
0: In May 1844, this is one month before his death, Joseph Smith showed the papyri to Charles Francis Adams, who's a member of the Massachusetts legislature, son of John Quincy Adams, and Hosea uh, Quincy, uh, later to become mayor of Boston. So these guys are high-profile guests. In his diary, Adams quotes Smith as saying, This was written by the hand of Abraham. If anyone denies it, let him prove the contrary. I say it. Quincy... And, and
2: again, that, that could have gone either way as well, whether it was authored by Abraham or a copy of what Abraham originally wrote. Now, my biggest problem... Hang on, on a second. Is, Quincy all
0: right, all right. has Smith saying...
2: That is the handwriting of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Um, And again, I guess I could just claim that's hearsay. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: There's another huge problem here is when Joseph Smith pointed at one symbol and said, that is the signature of Abraham, that doesn't make sense because uh, it's phonetic. That's true. So one letter isn't going to equal someone's name unless it's like back in the days where you couldn't sign you just slapped an X on there. You and if were, that's the case... Yeah.
0: You're talking about um, the Egyptian alphabet and grammar before. They actually pinpointed Abraham as this little W-loop character and W. W. Phelps, who's acting as Joseph Smith's scribe, put a little number two over it and signified that that means Abraham. And everywhere that character occurred, uh, it meant Abraham. Uh, so this points directly to Uh, And the text that he's taking out of To make the Egyptian alphabet and grammar Is the Sensen text Which is the book of breathings Which is hooked onto Facsimile 1 And remember in the book of Abraham Itself uh, It says that um, I've reproduced this uh, uh, Altar for you uh, At the beginning At the commencement of this record Let me see if I can find the exact quote here it is. It's Abraham 1, 12-14. And that you may have knowledge of this altar, I will refer you to the representation at the beginning of this record. It was made after the form of a bedstead, such as what was had among the Chaldeans, and it stood before the gods of Elkanah, Libna, Mamakra, Korash, and also a god like unto that of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That you may have an understanding of these gods, I have given you the fashion of them in the beginning. Now if you take that scroll and roll it out, the facsimile is the first, and it's been placed on this backing paper, glued onto it, and they cut it in s- several areas. So when it was repositioned by Klaus Baer, I think this was later on, maybe in the 80s, th- these weren't separate papyri. These were all one scroll. The Sen Sen text and facsimile one. They're all part of the Book of Breathings, so or the Breathing Permit of Hor. So uh, the facsimile, and then it's followed by all this text. And the Egyptian Book of Grammar, Alphabet and Grammar, written by Joseph Smith, some of that's in his handwriting, some of it's in W.W. Phelps' handwriting, actually has some of those characters. Exactly, I think the first two columns of that is exactly the same as the first two columns of the Sen Sen text directly under uh, the facsimile one.
2: All right, I'm I'm just going to claim ignorance here. I don't know about any of that. I, I don't know about the physic- I don't know about the, the trek of the physical bits of the papyrus and uh, the, who did what with with it when.
0: Yeah, they had so three manuscripts. I'm just going to
2: apologize and claim ignorance uh, for any of those points. These, these were
0: published in 1966. Three manuscripts containing the uh, most of the first and part of the second chapters of the Book of Abraham. In the right column it was in English. In the left-hand column, the Egyptian hieratic characters appeared. And Leighton's right. It's like one character and then like a paragraph
1: yeah you're talking about papyrus joseph smith 11 and
0: uh yeah that's uh, the second part of the book of breathings it's a sense syntax
1: exactly and uh these uh, hieroglyphs are actually pointing to abraham one eleven, where he begins therefore they were killed upon this altar and they he has one hieroglyph and an entire paragraph and then he moves on to the next hieroglyph and an entire paragraph right. so this proves just right here Joseph Smith had no idea that Egyptian or any of their languages was phonetic. He thought one symbol meant this.
0: Some of the words listed in that Egyptian alphabet and grammar are found in facsimile 2, the hypocephalus that we don't have. Uh, Kolob, Ja'oe, Flois, and Klyphosisis. If you look at facsimile 2, those words are listed underneath in the uh, describing
2: text. Alright, well here's where I'm going to get to that explanation I uh, hinted at before that you're not going to like that oh, Are you right. going to tell us it's spiritual that he was reading <laughs> Let lives. him go ahead Alright, go ahead <laughs> uh, Okay, along those lines, yeah let me, let me just give a quote by Henry Eyring uh, And I don't know if this is Henry Eyring Who is the present Mormon apostle Or his father or, or a relative All right. But anyway, what he says And I should look that up Says says, uh, God doesn't need a crib sheet in the form of a papyrus scroll to reveal Abraham's thoughts and words to Joseph Smith with any degree of precision. He considers, uh, sorry, he considers necessary for his purposes. If the only function of the scrolls was to awaken the prophet to the idea of receiving such inspiration, they would have fulfilled their purpose. And so let me say in furtherance of that, frequently in the scriptures, Jesus or God uses some artifact— to increase the faith or channel the faith or as a revelatory object uh, to communicate with people, so whether that was Jesus picking up the clay and well I guess not in this case it wasn't it wasn't revelatory, but anyway, Jesus picking up the dirt, spitting in it, rubbing it into a clay, and putting it on the blind man's eyes to heal him uh, that it isn't to say that the clay and spit was magical, but rather it was to assist the faith of the blind man who was getting healed. Uh, in the case of Joseph Smith, we didn't ever address the Yerman Thumbum versus the peepstone in the hat, but either way, regardless, it is not necessarily that the object itself was magical or supernatural, but rather an item of, uh, uh, an actual item to increase the faith of the person who is being communicated with. And in the same way, these uh, papyri could have been nothing more than that, that they allowed Joseph Smith to... Will first get inspired as to the Book of Abraham and to guide his faith in receiving revelation from God, not from the paper.
1: then why even give Joseph Smith the golden plates if he didn't need the golden plates to be pulled out of the mountain for him to translate the Book of Mormon, Why
2: risk it? Why not? They were useful for that for that uh for that project, and yes. as we know from from the historical accounts, or rather what we know from the church history accounts that Joseph Smith frequently translated without the use of the plates at all once he got uh, more used to how things went.
1: By using the same stones that he used for money grubbing.
0: (laughs) Here's why I don't like that response. And it's not because uh, of anything other than what Joseph Smith himself said in the history of the church. I quote With W. W. Phelps and Oliver Cowdery as scribes, I commenced the translation of some of the characters or hieroglyphics and much to our joy found that one of the roles contained the writings of Abraham, another the writings of Joseph of Egypt, etc., a more full account of which will appear in its place as I proceed to examine or unfold them. Truly we can say the Lord is beginning to reveal the abundance of peace and truth. So he himself says it wasn't a revelation or spiritual or, or he looked at it and he felt good and got a revelation. He was translating the characters directly. That's uh, History of the Church 235-36. to, uh, 235 to 36. So either Iring doesn't read the history of the church, or he's arguing directly with Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith saw this as an act of translation, and oh. that's why the people of the Mormon church poured their life savings of $2,400, which is an immense fortune at the time, to purchase these for them, because they trusted that he could translate it. If he, if he didn't need it, he should have just told them, hey, I can translate these uh, scrolls Uh, with Revelation, um, let me just have one look at them and then I'll go and translate them or God will give me Revelation and tell me what it is. Um, Why? (laughs) God. Uh, I mean, apparently, this Mormon deity is is a real jerk. $2,400. $2,400 in 1835. Uh, Not to mention all of the agony that it's cost over the 200 years since he's translated it in people who've fallen away. I mean, Thomas Stuart Ferguson, faithful member of the church spent a lot of time and money investing in archaeology trying to find evidence of book of mormon sites in the, in the new world in the in mesoamerica and south america uh wasted his entire life um lost his faith over it uh the first person that they they showed these uh, an amateur egyptologist who taught himself how to translate scrolls the first person when they unearthed it they they showed it to i think his name was dj nelson a faithful lds member of the church Resigned seven years later Um, The book of Abraham for me was the nail in the coffin Uh, And and it was A lot of the uh, former Mormons that I talked to Uh, God has got serious Problems if this is the way he's conducting business It looks like a complete and utter Fraud
2: Again I I think the best way to judge it's uh... Fraudulentness is to fraudulence. What's the proper noun form, anyway? <laughs> the, the best way to judge this w- would be to look at the the text of the document itself. I mean, yes, as I said before, um, life's hard, life's messy, people are imperfect. The whole beginning of the church was amazing in how well it all went off, despite the imperfections, the uh, the selfishness, the the struggling, the the frontier life. I mean, this it it was a messy it was a messy job. I mean, it was a it was a rough stone rolling.
0: That's Nibley's defense. Um, You know, none of the scholars who have looked at this they've all been concerned with the translation. But Nibley's defense is look at the text itself. I say if the text isn't true, it doesn't matter.
2: If it isn't from
0: Abraham, it doesn't matter. First and second, the text itself puts forth a completely racist doctrine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, not only that, but we it fails on both accounts. We have a history of Joseph Smith being unable to see when he's being uh, having someone perform fraud on him and uh, what the texts actually say. Take a look at the Kinderhook plates, take a look at the Book of Abraham, the two pieces of documentation that we can actually test against Joseph Smith's translation abilities, and he has fallen flat on his face both times. How are we supposed to look at that and think, oh, well, he just made a couple mistakes there, but I- I'm sure the Book of Mormon is true, even though nothing he wrote in the Book of Mormon can be proven through archaeology.
2: And remember... Well, let's, go and, our... let's go ahead and recall the uh, what I said earlier about the way we approach God. I mean, it, science doesn't do it. 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 That is not how God has designed... The human experience to to come into communication with him and to receive revelation from him. Well, if that's that's his of life, this If this guy's wasting his life and money to go in, and dig up God, uh, th- that that says more uh, about what he's trying to get at than the truth. Or well, he's trying to get at, this, at the that, truth. That, he's that, trying that
0: to bring a that, whole new generation of members into the church. And remember, this test of Joseph Smith with this Book of Abraham could have gone either way the Egyptologist could have said, this is absolutely, Joseph Smith was absolutely right. Here we have the book of Abraham written in hieroglyphics, and that would have converted people by the thousands. If, yeah, if, and uh, Jesus,
2: Jesus could come down right now, tromp around and stand on the pulpit and say which church is true, but he doesn't, and there's a reason for that. That, that is not how we are supposed to come to God.
0: His reason is because he's a jerk. I mean, if uh, science is the only reliable method Across uh, multiple observers of getting at the truth. If God doesn't want to use that, he should get something that's more reliable than science, not less. The reason that Mormonism hasn't spread more quickly, apart from all this stuff, is that it asks you to to judge your truth by a feeling in your chest. And that feeling is not consistent across observers. Otherwise, we'd all be Mormons. Or
1: we'd all be Christian, or we'd all be
0: uh, Muslim, or we'd all be Jewish. Scientologist
1: is the one I like, but I mean, you're you're asking us to toss out science and history,
2: archaeology, everything. So don't we can toss them out. One. Just okay. don't use them to prove God, because it won't work. Well, use them, if it, use it was them neutral, they can be used for, and that's plenty.
0: If it was neutral, I would agree with you. If it if science had nothing to say about the Book of Mormon or Book of Abraham. Uh, then I would agree with you. But if everything science has to say is contradictory to it, then I would say God's got a serious problem. He's gone beyond, you know, don't worry about the science because it has nothing to say, it's just not a good method for determining my truth, to now you have to ignore what the science says, and ignore all this stuff that is true in order to believe Mormonism. And that's a proposition that only works if you're already Mormon.
1: Well, and not only that, but take a look at the Bible. We can trace back the history of the Bible and discover the historicity of it. Why can't we do that with the Book of Mormon?
2: With some parts we can because trace there's it. Actually, there's actually a history connected with the Bible. <laughs> In other words, historical records. There aren't any with uh, with the Book of Mormon. There are Um, Well, if there were any records, they were destroyed by the Spaniards
0: You have Mayan architecture You've got Olmec architecture Some of which, by the way, Joseph Smith pinpointed as Book of Mormon cities And um, unfortunately, they were built after Book of Mormon times (laughs) But, uh, um, I mean, you have uh, Of course, a lot of the Quipu and a lot of the other records um, didn't make it You have some uh, stuff that was written post-Columbian times about Quetzalcoatl and that sort of thing, and that gets really confusing. But the, the vast majority of stuff isn't available to us, I agree. But all of the stuff that's said in the Book of Mormon, for example, um, that predicts that we would find wheat and barley and uh, sheep and goats and horses and elephants, doesn't pan out. There, there is nothing of that kind until after. Um, well, that not posts only that, to a, but... That, that, that points to a post-Columbian authorship of the Book of Mormon.
1: And not only that, but God's being kind of a dick here. If he uh, if he sends in these Spaniards and erases every single trace, he allows us to trace back the Bible, but he does his damnedest to completely destroy every single trace of what could possibly make people believe. Why is God making it so difficult, uh, not only making it difficult, but throwing out, Objects such as the book of Abraham and such as, why didn't he destroy this papyrus in Chicago as he should have and let us all believe on faith? Why did he have to let it be found so all of us can look at it and go, well, either God's just chosen the wrong guy, or we have to believe that Joseph Smith was faulted and therefore begin to doubt every single thing he's done. So not only is God systematically destroying evidence, but he is doing his damnedest to throw falsehoods in front of us to make us disbelieve. What
2: kind of a dickish God is doing that and why? Uh, Again, I would say read the text and go to God.
0: Well, the, the, the text essentially says that black people shouldn't hold the priesthood and the uh the church agreed with that up until 1978. So now the church doesn't if, even believe if it. If you want
2: to address blacks in the priesthood. That that's a whole other topic. I'm not <laughs> we have time to get into right now. Well, well you run up the text. Have been, have been a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, you've been you've been more than patient. Um
2: yeah,
0: right. I I want to maybe I guess ask one final question to you. All right. And that is Why do you think God places an emphasis on faith, which is essentially belief without evidence, uh, rather than belief with evidence? Why is it so important for God to have people believe with no evidence whatsoever?
2: Here's my feeling on it. That we you know in mormon theology they, they believe in a pre-mortal we believe in a pre-mortal existence where we were with god we knew about him we knew about his plan we knew about coming here to earth getting bodies being tested living under very stressful horrid conditions we knew about all that we come here we forget we have all the memories of that of that pre-mortal existence taken from us we are here on our own to learn some very delicate and important things most of us and god needs to know for 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 the for most of us people how we will approach him in spiritual matters how we will learn to listen to him how we will learn to be the kind of people he wants us to be despite all these obstacles and challenges the way he has set out for us to do that is to approach him and to receive revelation and inspiration from him in slow line upon line precept by precept Growing and coming to know him That's his program I'm not going to criticize his program Science is good for plenty of other things Learning about this life, learning about this world uh, But it's not for discovering God God has his own program for that
0: Alright, I'll I'll criticize the program I think it's horrible (laughs) I think it's awful We all
2: know where um, I stand on
1: that program
2: I
0: think it's good for certain people Who are willing to swallow stuff without evidence But he's essentially with that program Damning a uh, lot of otherwise really nice people, uh, really without reason.
1: Um, He's basically giving us a brain and then damning us for trying to use for it. For using it, yeah. All
0: right, Palmer, if you'd like, you've been
2: extremely patient with us. Let's give you the final word and then we'll close up the show. All right. Uh- thank you for having me on. I know it hasn't been completely satisfactory uh, to the atheists I've been speaking to, but thank you for having me on. I, I hope I've given some at least vaguely cogent statements about Mormonism and that, yeah, let us not worry uh, so much about respecting others' beliefs, but let us worry about sharing our beliefs um, it, it, uh, under, you know, the the right that we all have to speak as we please. And And yeah, that's all I have to say. I wish I could have said something more awesome and intuitive and apropos at the end of this but there we go well I'll say amen to that I will say <laughs> definitely
0: respect isn't as important as the free exchange of ideas
1: keep on trucking on <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Paul um we'll talk to you later fa- Yeah, thanks
1: so much for coming thanks, on the Paul.
0: show and hopefully we'll get you back on this was a lot more enlightening than uh,
1: our previous one
2: well then, Sean. Who
1: every time you asked him something, I'm not here to discuss
2: that. All right. Thanks again. We'll Wait. see you. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Leighton. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs>